0: listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning again. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Good to see y'all. I'm always really really happy to be able to speak to you and um talk about the scriptures of the day. Today we're going to talk about our lectionary text for the day, which comes from Matthew chapter 5. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 30. Um, We'll talk about the lectionary, but we're in our series for Epiphany called Know and Be Known. And the series has been about self-awareness for the sake of social awareness, for the sake of fulfilling our purpose in the world. Amen? That's it. That's it. You can say it, man. That's right. It's not a trick question. Um, yeah. So self-awareness and social awareness. We're going to talk about the lectionary text. The lectionary. Does anybody know what I not know what the lectionary is? Yes. It's okay. Be brave. That's okay. The lectionary. Um, we follow the revised common lectionary, which is followed by most mainline churches, like most like kind of mainstream churches and. Um, What it is, is it's daily Bible readings that have been selected and grouped together by some people, and um, important people. I don't really know exactly who they are, but they're important, and it's okay. And um, we follow those. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at that group of texts, and we're going to see how they fit together and what they're saying to us. Um, There are three years in the lectionary, year A, B, C. We're in year A, and they cycle through. So next year we'll do B. Year after that, we'll do C, and we'll go back to A. And that's what churches kind of go through. That's how we kind of figure out what we're talking about. Some churches kind of wing it, and that's okay, too. Uh, But we follow the lectionary. So um, the first thing I want to say before we get into the text is that concept that kind of got touched on in the bumper video, which is Jesus giving a new name to Peter. When God gives someone a new name, which is the title of our sermon today, God gives someone a new name, it's a new purpose, it's a new call, it's a new commission that he's giving. It's not just something that they're called by. So Abram and Sarai's names were changed to Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 17, Jacob to Israel in Genesis 32, after he wrestled with God and walked away to tell the story. (laughs) Um, And Simon, he called Simon as a disciple, which his name meant to listen, but then he changed his name to Peter, which meant um, rock or Kepha, which means rock. And he said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So when Jesus gives you a new name, or God gives you a new name, it's a new call on your life in in these stories that we're mentioning. Um, So it's epiphany. We're, We're discovering what God is revealing about God's self to us through the lens of Jesus and his life on the earth. Amen? And what he said. So the text today points toward a new covenant with God and all of us through Jesus. The first text we're going to read is from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. And it says, read along with me. It says, see, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, Then you shall live and become numerous, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but you are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today, or then, you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast to him for what means life to you and length of days so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob." May the Lord bless the reading of his word today. Um, This is the end of a really long discourse by Moses in Deuteronomy. So, um, Right in the beginning of Deuteronomy, Moses goes up to the mountain and he gets the, the tablets. You know the story. He goes up to the mountain. There's a bush. It's on fire. And it tells him, God speaks to him, the law that he's supposed to relay to Israel. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, he echoes this. He starts this discourse. So from 5 to 30, he's just telling them what he's been told. So in chapter 5, he starts this discourse saying the same things. It's a it's an echo. But you stand here by me and I'll tell you by the commandments, the statutes, and the ordinances that you shall teach them so they may do them in the land that I'm giving them to possess. Do them in the land that I'm giving them to possess. It's life and it's prosperity for you if you do it. It's death and it's adversity for you if you don't. And so he's, he's saying this through the whole thing. And it starts in chapter five and ends in chapter 30. And what it is, is it's a gift to Israel. God is giving them a gift of his very own word and his very own law and his commands directly to Moses. They don't have to guess. They don't have to go to a, a quiet place and sing Kumbaya and like hope that God speaks to them. He's like, boom, this is it. This is what you gotta do. And it's a different way than they've been living. It's a different culture than they've been living in. Completely different. It's countercultural, And it's a means of existing in a surrounding culture that sets them apart from the culture for the sake of all nations, God says. That's an important note. Um, I don't don't wanna go through this talk coming across as I'm speaking against Judaism. That's not what we're doing. We come from Judaism. That's what our faith comes from. We worship Jesus. Guess what Jesus was? A A Jew. God gave the Jews the law so that they would be set apart for the sake of all nations. What happened is it got given to people. And people, I don't know if anyone has ever told you this, are not always inherently good. And it's, it's sad. It's not our fault. I mean, we're made to be good. We're made to be good. And God says we are good. But we don't always do the right things with the right things. Right? So God gave them the law, the Old Testament law. This is how it's viewed by us now. Um, it's ancient. Jesus replaced it. Maybe you think of the, the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments. Are, we kind of we live by the Ten Commandments still. They're okay. We don't want to kill anybody. Um, they're good. But the whole rest of the law, I mean, no one, no one goes and cuts off their friend's hand if they take something from their car. Or like no one, oh, what's another one? We don't, we don't follow all of the rules. We don't, we mix fabrics all the time. You don't send, I don't know if I want to say this one. Never mind. There's a lot of them in there that we don't do. (laughs) Thank God. Right? It's a different time. And it doesn't, it doesn't exactly apply to us in the same way. And at best, we think of the Torah as something that can apply to us, that can apply to us. But at worst, we can make this out to be some kind of anti-Semitic caricature of Judaism, a tribal legalistic community, and, and we want to be aware of that. I don't want to do that today. The law is important, and it's in the Bible that God gave us, and it's a part of our history, and it's important. And what we need to do is view the whole of Scripture, not just pick out the parts that we like, but view all of it through the lens of Jesus. Jesus is the change. <laughs> Right? When Jesus comes, that's when it changes, and that's who we worship, and that's what we do. So we view all of Scripture through the lens of Jesus, and then if it's the same, then great, that's easy. If it is contrasting or conflicting, then maybe we need to look at that because that's important, right? Okay, good. No anti Semitism here today. We love the Jews, we love the Jew how it was viewed then by Israel and still by Jews today. If you go to a Jewish, like a service, I don't know what they call it, what do they call it? Like in like a messianic temple, if you go to a temple, you'll a synagogue, if you go to a synagogue, you'll see a service and it's beautiful. There's singing and there's incense. You got a little piece of cloth today that has some fragrance on it. We're gonna use that later because we're gonna do that. We're gonna practice like a ritual together later. But I want you to get it in your mind in a way that you can't get it into your mind. That you're, only your body can do that. We'll talk about it later. But um, if you go to a synagogue, there's a beautiful service and they keep the Torah, the scripture, they keep it in a cabinet. And then like the priest goes up and takes it out of the cabinet and carefully brings it and takes it and rolls it out to the place where like it's beautiful. It's like symbolic and it's deep and it's rich and it's embodied in a way that... We don't always do, you know? Um, They viewed it with highest regard. They view it with highest regard, the scriptures. A standard to keep you from, this is from Walter Brueggemann, and it's really good. It's a good quote if you're writing anything down. Um, A standard to keep you from perishing in the patterns of social relations that generate fear, anger, hate, and diminished human possibility. I'll read it again. A standard to keep you from perishing in the patterns of social relations that generate fear, anger, hate, and diminished human possibility. What does that sound like, diminished human possibility? To me, when I hear that phrase, that sounds like oppression. That sounds like social justice oppression. And, and the fight for justice against oppression of people. So some examples of that are here. We're gonna put them on screen. Um, some examples of that in these beautiful scriptures are sharing feasts with the hungry, with hungry people, canceling debts the poor can't pay in chapter 15 of Deuteronomy, sharing hospitality with runaway slaves, not charging interest to your own people, leaving the residue of the harvest for the disadvantaged to glean. That's the widow, the orphan. It lists them out specifically. The widow, the orphan, the alien, it says. Limiting punishment in order to protect human dignity. It tells you not to beat someone the way you wanna beat them because they're a person. Like, leave them some dignity. It's a, it's a, it's a real guide to Keeping you from perishing in the patterns of social relations that diminish human possibility and helping one another, it's a guide to relational reconciliation between us and and between us and the earth. Um, It's not just right living, it's right relationship with God, with one another and with the earth. I'm talking about the Torah still. The Torah provided a more beautiful way to live. It gave life deeper meaning. This deeper meaning led to beautiful living, not just eking away your existence, but real beautiful living, meaning to your life, living in a way that's beautiful unto God and beautiful to others that's desirable, a greater greater appreciation for a better way of life. They call that shalom, shalom. Complete shalom with God and with people. That's our goal. And so in the call to worship, Jessica read for us today. She read Psalm 119. Who, does anybody Has anybody ever read Psalm 119? It's super long. Pages and pages. One psalm, many pages. That's because it's 22 stanzas of eight lines. And the 22 stanzas all start with each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Alphabet. Alphabet whatever, I don't know that Hebrew alphabet, but the first stanza starts with Aleph, and every line starts with the letter A. And what it does is it goes through each line and in every single line, it's a dedication to the Torah of the beauty of the Torah in life and how much we need it, how much we depend on it. And there are words in it like, happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his decrees, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. Again, you've commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on your commandments, ordinances, statutes again. The Torah is at the heart of God's desire for all people, like we talked about, because it was delivered to Israel at a time of God's supernatural providence and salvation. Imagine being in a real moment of adversity and someone not only rescuing you, but giving you a gift to mark that time. How precious would you hold that gift in your heart? How precious would that gift be to you? It would be the, probably the most valuable thing you own. It would be such a, such a beautiful thing that you want to preserve. And this is what the Torah means to Israel the covenant of God with Israel to bless all nations. Okay, so that's the Deuteronomy passage. Are you still with me? Yep, yep. tracking. Good. Torah, good. Law, good. Okay, now let's look at the Matthew passage. Matthew sees Jesus, okay, this is really cool. I have to say one thing that Robbie says. I'm going to steal this from Robbie. This is Robbie, Dr. Robbie Waddell, Pastor Robbie, okay? So he can never say that I took it. It's his. Um, but he says, um, imagine us having four different paintings of Jesus and then them all being beautiful, different representations of Jesus by different painters, I mean, Rembrandt, Picasso, you know, real, real beautiful paintings in different styles, and then cutting them up into little pieces and piecing together what we think Jesus looked like. That's what we want to fight against, right? We want to take the Gospels and we want to look at the Gospels as a whole book written by someone, about someone, and read what they're trying to say to us. So that's what, that's what we've done with Matthew. And Matthew sees Jesus. He writes this book as the new Moses. It's the new law. It's the new covenant that Jesus is bringing to his people. And it's beautiful. So the old covenant is the letter of the law. It's, it's death to you if you don't do it. Um, the Versus the new covenant, which is a, the spirit of the law, not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. Any lawyers in the room? Spirit of the law? There you go. Anyway, not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. What the law means to impart for you, not just what the law is saying to you. And Jesus is the new Moses. So let's, let's watch this video clip really quick because it says it better than I can say it. And it's nice to break it up. Okay, check this out.
1: But Matthew also wants to show how Jesus is a new Moses. So like Moses, Jesus came up out of Egypt. He passed through the waters of baptism and he entered into the wilderness for 40 days. And then Jesus goes up onto a mountain to deliver his new teaching. So through all of this, Matthew is claiming that Jesus is the promised greater-than-Moses figure who's going to deliver Israel from slavery, he's going to give them new divine teaching, he's going to save them from their sins and bring about a new covenant relationship between God and his people. This Moses and Jesus parallel also explains why Matthew has structured the center of the book the way that he did. These five main parts highlight Jesus as a teacher. And he's created a parallel. Jesus as a teacher parallels the five books of Moses. Jesus is the new authoritative covenant teacher who's going to fulfill the storyline of the Torah. Now in the first section, chapters 4-7, to Jesus steps onto the scene announcing the arrival of God's kingdom And this is really key The kingdom is in essence about God's rescue operation for his whole world And it's taking place through King Jesus Jesus has come to confront evil, especially spiritual evil And its whole legacy of demon oppression and disease and death Jesus has come to restore God's rule and reign over the whole world by creating a new family of people who will follow him, obey his teachings, and live under his rule. So, after Jesus begins healing people and forming a movement, a community, he takes his followers out to a mountain or a hillside, and he delivers his first big block of teaching, traditionally called the Sermon on the Mount and here Jesus explores what it looks like to follow him and live in God's kingdom and it's an upside-down kingdom where there are no privileged members so the poor, the nobodies, the wealthy, the religious Everybody is invited and is called to turn, to repent, and to follow Jesus and join his family. Jesus says that he's not here to set aside the commands of the Torah or the Old Testament. Rather, he's here to fulfill all of that through his life, through his teachings. He's here to transform the hearts of his people so that they can truly love God and love their neighbor, including their enemy.
0: All right, and all my visual learners said, amen, Amen. right? I'm just kidding, that's me. I like seeing things. Anyway, so as the video said, people were expecting Jesus, the Messiah, to deliver them from slavery, give new divine teaching, save from sin, and give a new covenant. And so when Jesus says in Matthew 5, like Pastor Robbie preached about last week, he said, do not think that I've come, Jesus said, not Robbie, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill for truly, I tell you until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not a stroke. Of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever breaks the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, the keepers of the law, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So, in our lectionary reading, it's in Matthew chapter 5, just after he says this unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. If we're all to live a better life than the scribes and Pharisees who are practicing the Torah to the letter and even attempting to, you know, they were attempting to perform extra acts of piety and go over and above and beyond. And like, how can we possibly do that? How can we expect to do that? We have to view Jesus as the ultimate example of a lawful, righteous person, not just an example, but the catalyst that makes it possible for us to do the same, to live rightly. We have to view him as the person, the incarnation of God that allows for us to follow the law and live righteously. We have to be like him. He's God in human form. He is that living, breathing shalom with God and man in the earth, right? So in Matthew five, twenty-one to 37, that's the lectionary text. Jesus gives four examples. And it's, he's talking about more than the letter of the law. He emphasizes the spirit of the law. Oh, and here's just, here's a word about, um, it's, it's really a word about relational reconciliation. He gives four examples. He talks about being reconciled to one another, making friends, being nice. He talks about it. He says, live rightly with your brother before you try to live rightly before God. He gives an example of someone on their way to the synagogue to give their sacrifice. And he says, put it down and go be reconciled to your brother or sister before you come to me with it. To, to God with it, but to me. Um, he says put your sacrifice down. So that's like an animal. Like just just put it down. He gives this picture of a worship service and you're going into the service and he says, no, don't bring it yet. You're not not right with this person. If you know you have aught with your brother or sister, go to them and make it right. Reconcile it with them. He talks about dealing ruthlessly with the first signs of anything that pulls you away from that shalom with God and people. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to walk around life Living your life fully without your hand than to die, than to not live at all. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you not to see and to be able to walk and live your life and fulfill your shalom purpose in the earth than to be looking, than to hold on to the looking at what's causing you to stumble. He says, have the kind of word, he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Have the kind of word that when you say yes to someone, you don't have to say, I swear to whatever. Like he says, you can't, don't swear by the hairs of your head. You can't make them black or white. Don't swear by God. You're not God. Don't swear by the heavens. You can't go there. Like don't, you've never been. So like he says, don't swear by things. And it's not because it's bad to swear. Like, how many of us were taught to, to say, not say dirty words? Raise your hand when you were a kid. Don't say bad words. I'm not telling you to go out here and, like, curse like a sailor. I'm just saying, no offense to sailors. Love you. <laughs> I'm not telling you to walk out and be profane. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm saying we all learn what not to say. We don't learn why we don't curse At people we don't learn how to speak kindly and why it's important all the time right I didn't I just learned it's rude to say you know whatever (laughs) I mean it's implied right I mean it's not that my parents did a bad job they did a great job my parents were kind people but it's important for us to talk about the spirit of those rules and not just the letter of those rules right yeah. So how can we let all of this information, this whole picture of Jesus that Matthew's giving us as the new Moses? How can we let that facilitate relational reconciliation and how we can we allow this new covenant and enter into a new covenant with Jesus to make us relational reconcilers? Paul in another lectionary text, this is the fourth lectionary text. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, stop fighting reconcile with one another the work of reconciling God's people back to God by first starting and being reconciled to one another ourselves that's the work that's the work that God has for us to do to live here with each other reconciling with each other and being God here on the earth being Jesus to people being love showing that love so how do we reconcile ourselves back to God? We reconcile with one another. So in first Corinthians chapter three, Paul's talking about quarreling and say, you say I'm from Apollos and you say I'm from Paul, but we're all from God. This is all God's covenant. This isn't Paul's covenant. This isn't Apollos' covenant. We're all doing the work. He says, I planted and Apollos watered it, but God brings the harvest. God is the one doing the work. We have to be faithful with telling the truth and speaking the truth in love and worshiping in spirit and in truth and loving God and loving people and cannot take credit for any of it and should not take responsibility when it doesn't work. Maybe someone needs to hear that. The moment you take responsibility for someone not hearing the truth that you're speaking to them, you slip into the dangerous zone of also taking credit when they do. So be free. (laughs) That was free, that wasn't even announced. Um, So in 2 Corinthians 3, he says something similar. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are competent of ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. Our competence is from God who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, right? The priesthood of all believers. I added that. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Amen. Since then, we have such hope, we act with great boldness, not like Moses, who did not act with great boldness, who put a veil over his face to keep the people of Israel from gazing at the end of the glory that was being set aside for Jesus. But their minds were hardened. Indeed, to this very day, when they hear the reading of the Old Covenant, that same veil is still there, since only in Christ is it set aside Indeed, to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as, through reflect, as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. The end. Just kidding. That's amazing. That's really good news. So he's talking about Moses when he came down off the mountain. It says his face was glowing with the glory of God, but he put a veil over his face because he knew it would fade. He didn't want them to see the fading of the glory of God on his face. But Jesus gives us a helper who is the Holy Spirit who keeps on continually transforming us and communicating that covenant to us and showing us how to walk in it from glory to glory to glory to glory. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about Moses's face, the glory on Moses's face. We have that continual work from the Holy Spirit because Jesus left us the helper, right? So that work continually works in our life. And he says, I love the way he says that. He says, um, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, we're being transformed, transformed into the same image over and over again. Which means we're diverting from it, right? And that's the struggle that we have. The struggle that we have to keep Pressing in to keep following the revelation of God, keep getting new revelation from the Holy Spirit and understanding that we are not our own, that we live under this new covenant. Amen. Jesus gives us a helper, the Holy Spirit. He is our new Moses whose face shines in unveiled glory that he shows us outright and it never fades He holds the new covenant and that is the law of freedom, the law of liberty that James talks about in chapter two. He says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty for judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus just said that, right? Those who show mercy will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful for they shall be shown mercy. So that's what we're going to do. We're going we're to pray a prayer of confession. I hope you'll join me. I was reading this book that Robbie recommended to me. It's called um, Dancing the Soul Salsa by Leonard Sweet. It's really good. It's about living out Christianity in a modern world and still holding on to what God says in God's word. And how to do it. It's very practical. So he, in the first chapter, he talks about mezuzah, your universe. And a mezuzah is going to be up on the screen. It's a little um, case made of wood or metal or stone or ceramic. And Jews will fill the case with a parchment. They'll roll it up and put it inside that little case right on the doorpost of their house. And on one side, it's written the Shema, which is, um, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. And then on the other side, it says the word, the name Shaddai, and they have it right on the door of their house. And it signifies to anyone who enters or leaves that this place belongs to God, like as for me and my house kind of thing, which is so cool. It's just a, it's a physical kind of consecration. It's a physical dedication to God. So we're gonna mezuzah our response today. We're gonna make an olfactory memory together. So we got something that smells like frankincense oil, frankincense oil, essential oil. And the reason I wanna make an olfactory memory is because it's really strong. It's a strong memory. So the next time you smell this smell, you might remember this moment that we're all having together. And um, something interesting, just real quick, I know I've talked a lot, I'll try to hurry. But um, something interesting about olfactory memories or smell memories specifically is that they're not like the other four senses that we have, touch, sight, tasting, or um, hearing. They are different. They bypass our thalamus in our brain. So they go straight to the center of our brain where our amygdala is, where our memory center is, and our emotion center. And what happens is, you start forming a memory or an idea or a feeling about this smell before you can describe it, before you can put a word to what it is. So as you hold this up to your nose, we're going to say this prayer of confession together. You can hold it. You don't have to like... (coughs) It's a little strong. But I hope it lasts. I hope you can tuck it in somewhere. And when you bring it out, you'll think, oh, God, help me for, like, forgive me for... not doing what I should have done and for doing wrong, you know? So I pray that we could pray this prayer of confession together um, and create this memory together to connect both our minds and our spirits to this moment, but also our bodies. We worship God in a body, right? We worship God and we want to... We want to do as much of that embodied worship as we can because it's important. And that's what's beautiful about the Jewish tradition is that it's so embodied and they sing songs and we sing, what a beautiful name it is, right? It's like a, it's more than just the words. It's embodied in you. All right, so let's stand together. We're going to pray this prayer of confession together. This is from the Book of Common Prayer, if you want to look it up. I didn't write it, Um, but it's beautiful. And we're saying it, because it's from the Book of Common Prayer, we're saying it with the saints today. This is also the communion of the saints. We're saying it all together, and we're having this meal, and we're going to say this confession because we say... Yes, to the original purpose of God for our humanity, which is a new covenant through Jesus, we are able to tear the veil and see the glory from glory to glory to glory. Amen? Amen. All right, let's say it together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. You can be seated. Almighty God, our heavenly Father, of his great mercy has promised forgiveness of sins to all those who with hearty repentance and true faith turn to him, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen in you all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.